join us. Take your Bibles. Turn to Mark chapter 11. I changed my mind. Turn to Mark chapter 10. <laughs> you know, my eyes are starting to, <clears throat> starting to go. I just, somewhere in Mark, you'll find me eventually. I, I don't know if you've, uh, over the past 10 weeks, now that this is the last Sunday, I'm going to point out some things on this logo that you may not have actually noticed in the Activate series you know, this whole Activate series has talked about increasing our impact, our impact. And I don't know if you've noticed or paid attention, but in the logo, we specifically designed out of the word impact, I act. If you'll notice, they're a little bit different than the rest of the word. And, and the idea is, do you see it? Yeah, thanks. Um, so <clears throat> I act is the idea that Listen, when we are filled with the Spirit, when we respond to this God's empowering presence that we talked about, we can't just not do anything. We have to, at some point, respond with the truth that we are God's workmanship. We're saved by grace, by faith, that not of ourselves. But the truth is that the next verses talk about we respond as now God's handiwork, God's masterpiece. We act. I act. Now, listen, in the church, I understand, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some opposing views at times this morning because I understand that this happens in the church. We understand that we're supposed to act, most of us, and, and, but what happens is we think we act in order to get God's favor, and that's not the truth. We we don't act in order to get God to love us because God can't love us anymore. You sang this great song about God's relentless love pursuing you this morning, right? That's the idea. God's love pursued you. You didn't pursue actually God's love. I mean, when you were dead in your sins and trespasses, as Paul talks about in Ephesians, you were dead. Dead things don't pursue things. Dead things are just dead. They're there. God's love pursues you, makes you alive, and now you respond. You're activated. Death to life. Act alive. Be alive. And, and, and so we've been looking at this over the past uh, weeks. And in 2 Timothy, I'm having trouble here. Can you help me, Griff? In 2 Timothy 1.6, it says, For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. I think you're going to have to just change it for me, buddy, because I don't have anything. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The idea with this Activate series has been, look, God has placed a gift within you now, fan it into flame. You are the light of the world. How did you become the light? He made you the light. Don't hide it under a bushel. Instead, put it on a hill. You have a, see, there's this interaction, this choice we have to work with God as a response to what he's done in our lives. And over the past weeks in this Activate series, we've looked at becoming a person of influence. Cheryl shared with us 
how this occurs, we've talked about uh, emotional intelligence or relationships, and we looked at the life of Jesus as, a, as the one who helps us understand how to connect with people at a, an emotional level as well as a spiritual level, how to break through spiritually. We looked at the life of Elijah, how he got depressed and down, but how God came and he, he had to have breakthroughs. We too many times deactivate our lives because we feel beat down or discouraged or things don't go our way. We looked at how we have spiritual gifts that have been placed within us, like Timothy, to fan them into flame. We've looked at working as a team, uh, Timothy, Priscilla, and Aquila, how they, they formed a team together. We looked at restoration, that we're all going to stumble and fall. Scott looked at Peter and the life of Peter and uh, God restoring him into activation because we all are going to, anybody, anybody here, not screwed up this week. Come on, raise your hand proudly if you didn't screw up at some point this week. We all have. Now, some of us, some of us at greater levels than others, at least in our eyes. But at God's eyes, sin is sin. And, and he continually loves us, restores us, gets us back in there. We're the ones who choose to take ourselves out of the game. Conflict resolution. Things are going to happen. I could keep raising hands. How many didn't have one conflict this week? Not one. If not, the only way you're not going to have conflict is you never saw a person this week. You did not see one person or talk to them or have any interaction with any breathing live person this week. Otherwise, you're going to have conflict. We looked at mentoring about Ruth and Naomi, about... Um, Attaching ourselves and, and pouring our lives into people and to uh, hear from others as God has placed within us. And last week we looked at uh, living a life of total commitment, the life of Nehemiah. All of these things are, are aspects to activating our lives. They're, they're keys to how we get activated and stay activated. Today, I want to try and tie all of these things together just a little bit in a shorter amount of time than usual, in the sense some of you got real excited when I said that, uh, but in, in this idea that, that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. We are to be disciple makers. Now, as I've said before on numerous occasions, I come from a Baptist background, and in coming from a Baptist background, the two scripture passages we learned first were John 3, 16 and Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Those two verses are like the hallmarks of Baptist life. And Matthew 28 is what's known as the Great Commission, where Jesus has his followers that he's collected, trained, mentored, poured himself into... This is after his death, burial, resurrection, right before he goes back up into heaven. He says to them, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, there are a lot of parts of this verse we can look at. Hey, where to go? We are to be making disciples. We are to be... 
uh, teaching people everything Jesus taught. We're, we're to do it under the power of the Spirit. We are to be disciple makers. I don't think anyone would really argue that we're to be in the disciple making business. Now, I, I, I understand you could argue whatever you want. Uh, I saw a sign this week um, where this guy had a sign out and it was just on a table and he said, to, I'll argue with you about anything. About anything. You know, that's the world we live in. You just pick a point of view. I'll argue the other view. Just for the heck of it, uh, I'll, I'll argue. But really, if we look at it, we understand, I hope, that what Jesus calls us to do is to be filled with the power of the Spirit, to be disciples, and to be disciple makers. A disciple at its basic level is this. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. Um, and that's what we are in the sense of Jesus Christ. We are, we are learners from him, and we are followers of him, and we're to go out and we're to help others become learners and followers. Today I want to go to the Gospel of Mark, to a passage I've looked at before, but I want to look at it from a slightly different angle. It's Mark 10, and in Mark 10... This is toward the end of Jesus' ministry. I mean, this is not day one with his disciples. This is like right before. He's, he's telling, he tells them right before this that he's headed to go be crucified. He, his life is headed over. So this is key because I don't want you to think, oh, this is just some new followers. This is guys who've been with Jesus three years who start talking like they're going to talk. So turn to Mark chapter 10. 35, and let me just read verses 35 through 45, then take it apart for us just for a minute this morning to look at some aspects of being a disciple. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Even that statement just blows me out of the water. After three years, hey, hey, Jesus, we want you to do for us Whatever we Doesn't this sound like your two-year-old, three-year-old coming to you and saying, hey, Dad, promise, whatever I'm about to ask you, you're going to say yes to. Heck, no, I'm not. But Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us, next slide, Griff. Let, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you, baptize the, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptize, baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be First must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. Discipleship are these things. The first is this. It is a call to activation. We've talked about this a lot. A call to action or activation. Mark 1, 17 and 18 says this. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. This is way back, two and a half to three years earlier. Jesus comes across a couple of guys, three or four guys. As a matter of fact, he comes across the very guys who are asking this question two and a half to three years later. He comes across Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they're out there fishing. And Jesus says to them, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Here, here's the idea that I would like for you to see. We have so many choices or decisions in our life. Were the guys doing something bad? Thank you, Emily. The answer is no. <laughs> but I heard it over here. The answer is no. They were doing they were fishing. There's nothing wrong with being a fisherman. They were they were doing fine, really. And as a matter of fact, if you think about it, they were making a decent living. They were providing for their family. They were providing for their children. They were doing the things they were supposed to be doing. But Jesus comes to them and he, he calls them to something higher. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. There is, a, there is the call of Jesus in our life. Come and follow me. And to say that is to say to each of us, look, if I really want to, the love of God has pursued me, it's called me to come, do I respond and say yes? And let me just say this, every time you say yes to God, I believe you're leaving something. Now, you may think, well, wait a minute, are you saying to me that we all have to leave our jobs, um, you know, we all have to quit doing what we're doing? And go follow Jesus. No, I, I'm saying this. <clears throat> the call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ precedes or goes above and beyond every other call in your life. Simply put. Now, I, I don't want to be offensive, but let's just look at it. You know, um, different people in here, uh, TV uh, sells cards. Jesus is bigger than TV selling cars, right? Amy Snow is a mother and a wife. Jesus is bigger than her being a mother or wife. Her highest calling in life is not to be a mother or a wife. Hello? Do you understand? Here's the deal. We have idolized good things to the point of saying these things are the biggest thing in my life. No, Jesus is the biggest thing in your life. And to follow him, you, the only way you can be a mother or a father or a sister or brother or husband or wife is to be the person that Jesus Christ has called you to be. 
You understand? In other words, if you want to be fully activated for God's kingdom, you come and follow him. You leave your ideas behind and you attach yourself to Jesus. And when you do, how do you become fishers of men? He says, I will make you a fisher of men. You see, when, when you answer the call of Jesus, when you come and follow, he makes you. You don't make you, he makes you. <clears throat> I, I think we get this at a certain level, maybe. But it's hard because even in the church, we're told here, the highest ideal is, has to do with marriage or family or job or role, pastor or leader in the church. No, 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 no. Please, people, your highest calling is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit. I mean, he does everything else. If you want to be fully activated, then follow him. Follow him. Now, here's what happens, and that's, that's crucial. If we, don't get that, if we don't get that point, we won't get the others. Because the first step is following him. Many of us are a mess because we've, we've honestly out-ordered or reordered things in our lives. And then what happens? Let me give you an example. We, we believe, let's say, parenting is my highest calling. I'm supposed to be a parent. That's my highest calling. Okay, I'm, I'm all for parenting. I'm all for marriage. Please don't hear me say what I'm not saying. But here's what happens. Parenting is the most important thing in my life. And what happens if one of our children goes off? We now, our, our identity, our lives, our everything is destroyed because rather than seeing ourselves as, as transformed followers of Jesus Christ, we, our identity as a parent or as a husband or a wife or a worker or a maker of money or a leader in the church. What happens when those things which are our highest identity are torn away? We feel worthless. Why? Because that's where our worth That's not who you are. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, listen, please, again, don't hear me not, don't hear me saying something I'm not saying. I, I believe in parenting. I believe in marriage. I believe in working. Why? Because the Bible talks about all of those things, but in their order, in the proper place, you will only be what God has for you to be if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and giving yourself to him. I know I'm hitting this really, really hard, and, but really, we in the church at times hear a different message other than being followers of Jesus Christ. Come, follow me. So these guys do. They give it all. They, they, they leave their nets. They follow him. They go, they go after him. Two and a half years, three years later, this rich young guy comes and shows up and says, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus says to the rich young ruler, hey, okay, you can follow me, but here's what you got to do. You got to go and sell everything you've got and give it away, and then you can come and follow me. 
And, and what happens? He goes away sad because he had a lot. Then the disciples start looking and what, what, say to Jesus, what happened? Because see, in their, in their minds, um, prosperity equated godliness. Now, <clears throat> we at times get caught up in the same trap, but for them, you know, the Old Testament blessings and promises of God, hey, if you follow God, then you'll be blessed, and if you don't, you'll be cursed. Well, the blessings to them were, were that people got money. People got rich. God's blessed this guy. Hey, if this guy can't get in, who can get in? And Jesus said, listen, it's tough for rich people to get in because their hearts, the love of money has seized them. And there are going to be rewards that you don't even know about later on. Disciples start thinking, hey, wait a minute. I gave up everything to follow him. Now he's saying he's going to the cross. Um, I'm not sure where this is headed, but I, I did what he's saying. Now I must be going to get a reward because I'm following him. So James and John who think, hey, we're close to Jesus. Matter of fact, we're two, we're two of the original four. You know, we're the two of the four who got called out. It's really only Andrew and Peter. And Andrew, he's not really as close to Jesus. There's only Peter. If we're going to get the two big thrones, we need to get there before Peter. You think I'm kidding? I, they're thinking like this. We need to beat Peter out because, you know, he, he's Pete. You know, he's already said some things that are pretty good. Jesus already told him, on his, you know, on this rock, I'm going to build my kingdom. We need to get there before Pete. In another gospel, it says they weren't even quite brave enough to do it themselves, so they sent their mommy to ask about it. Now, I'm making fun here about the ludicrous nature of it, but you see, they saw the Messiah as a political leader. They still don't have a vision in their mind of a suffering servant. They don't think Jesus is really going to go to the cross and die. They think he's going to take over. And when he takes over, I want to be positioned. See, I've given up everything, and now I want to be positioned so that I can get the reward that I think I'm due. And, and here's what I want to say to us. At some point in your disciple-making life, you're going to have to have a change of attitude. You're going to have to have a crisis in attitude. You can start off following Jesus so good, but something's going to happen because there's this selfish nature that's within you that says, hey, wait a minute, I did this, now I deserve this. You know that deserve thing? It'll jump up and bite you, you know where, every time. Why? Because we didn't deserve nothing. I mean, think about it again. I was dead, he made me alive. Now that I'm alive, I start thinking, you know, I've really done some stuff, and I deserve. No, you were dead. What you deserved is to stay dead. Just being alive is good news, great news. Now, he didn't leave us just there. He's, he's moving us forward. But what we think we deserve, <clears throat> there's a good chance my dad is watching the live feed, which we do, so it's always dangerous for me to use family illustrations. 
but I'm going to do it anyway because it just shows the nature of my heart and our hearts. So I'm flying down today to move my dad up here this week. Um, yeah, he can come live with you. So um, <laughs> just kidding, Dad. We love to have you. Um, anyway, he's got, he's got a little condo down on Massey Road. It's going to be great. Anyway, I'm going to go move him. So um, I'm going to fly down, load the truck up, drive it back on Wednesday. My, my sister can't get down there. She's teaching school. My brother's doing something. You know, it's my brother. And so he's going to drive my, he's going to drive my dad up on Wednesday. Anyway, my sister sent me this list of things that she would like to have from my parents' home. And so I'm bringing these things up for her to put into storage so that when she's able, she can come get them. Now, on the surface, okay, great. But, you know, there's something that starts springing up inside of you that says, hey, why does she get to choose? Why does she get to go down there first and go through and get this stuff? Not only that, why do I have to be the one to bring it up here and put it in storage for her until she gets it? You understand? And so there's this thing that springs up inside of all of us. Now, you might want to mute this for a second. There's really nothing in my dad's house I want. I mean, really. I mean, I love my dad, and I love the stuff, and there's some stuff needful, but my wife would kill me if I brought some of that in the house. So do you understand? There's nothing I want, but there's still something that's inside of me that says, hey, why does... Why do they get to do? Do they get to do that? Do you understand? That is the nature and sinful state that we all battle at time. You're laughing at me, but you would have thought the same thing. <laughs> Wouldn't you? At some level, there's this thing in us. Now, praise God, I... I I can recognize it through the power of the Spirit, I think, in my own life enough to say, you know what, this is, family is much more important than stuff. There's no stuff I can think of in my life that would cause me to damage my relationship with my brothers or sisters or father or children. Stuff really doesn't matter that much to me most of the time. <laughs> Mark 10, 35, Jesus said, James and John said, hey, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. And Jesus, in his kindness, says, what is it you want? Here's my point. We, we all, at one time or many times, will face a crisis in our lives that will necessitate us changing our attitude. And the only way this can happen is if we Stay fully attentive to God. Being a disciple is not a part-time job. It's not like I turn it on, turn it off. If, because we have this stuff, like I've just described, that will creep up inside of us. And it will take over us if we don't keep our eyes fixed on him. I want to show you a movie clip from um, the movie um, Social Network. And this is a movie about Facebook. How many people do you think go on Facebook every month? Any guesses? Two billion. Every month. I mean, that's... How many people on the planet? 
I mean, it's a third of the world goes on every month to Facebook. This is uh, about the founding of Facebook and a lawsuit that's taken place. In the 16th email, you raised concerns about the site's functionality. Were you leading them on for six weeks? No. Then why didn't you raise any of these concerns before? It's raining. I'm sorry? It just started raining. Mr. Zuckerberg, do I have your full attention? No. Do you think I deserve it? What? Do you think I deserve your full attention? I had to swear an oath before we began this deposition, and I don't want to perjure myself, so I have a legal obligation to say no. Okay, no. You don't think I deserve your attention? I think if your clients want to sit on my shoulders and call themselves tall, they have a right to give it a try, but there's no requirement that I enjoy sitting here listening to people lie. You have part of my attention. You have the minimum amount. The rest of my attention is back at the offices of Facebook, where my colleagues and I are doing things that no one in this room, including and especially your clients, are intellectually or creatively capable of doing. Did I adequately... There's something about that scene that fascinates me where he says, no, you don't have my full attention. You've got the minimum amount. I know it's an arrogant... I'm not advocating this as a worldview. What I'm saying is this. For many of us, when it comes to the truth of Jesus Christ, we're actually giving him about what we consider the minimum amount of our attention. We, we, we know that he deserves our attention at some level. But, but Jesus doesn't call you to a minimum. He calls you to lordship. He calls you to everything. He calls you to a life of being a follower of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> what is it Jesus promises them? Look, again, I don't want to pick on James and John. I, I love the way the Bible shows shortcomings of people rather than making them out to be heroes that they aren't. Why? Because God knew that every single one of us was going to face the same kind of stuff. We, we, if we're in church life long enough, we view God as a genie in a bottle that we can rub the bottle and that he'll come out and give us whatever we ask. I'm telling you, you'll face this at some point in your life. And, and if not, then we'll dance it up and call it prosperity doctrine. We'll call it God promise you health. God promises you riches. God promises you. No, what does God promise you? Look what Jesus promises the disciples in Mark 10, verses 38 and 40. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Now, see, they got a whole different view right now. They got a whole, yeah, we can drink this cup. Yeah, I can be, because they see Jesus headed toward the throne. And they're saying, yep, we can do it. And Jesus goes on and says to them, okay, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with, baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit in my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. What's the cup he's about to drink? It's a cup of suffering. It's a, what is the baptism he's about to be baptized? It is suffering and death. And he says, okay, you said it. You said you could. 
and indeed you will. What does Jesus promise us as followers of his? In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have health. In this world, you'll have money. In this world, no, those are not the promises of God. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Listen, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. You're going to suffer. Yeah. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? We're going to have trouble. We're going to have suffering. We, we can't get our heads around this in 21st century America because we are the most comfortable people who have ever lived at any point in all of history. As a group, the bottom line is, <clears throat> for most of us here today, we live incredibly comfortable lives. Very few people here, if any of us, are going to have to leave this place and wonder, where, what am I going to eat for lunch? Besides, what am I going to eat? It's a question of what, not if I get to have lunch. For most of us, we're going to go home to an air-conditioned or heated home with communication and television. And I mean, yeah, we got, we got things, internet, people. We live comfortable lives. We live prosperous lives. Do we understand the suffering that is a follower of Jesus Christ? At this point in history, we're still not experiencing yet political suffering in this country. It may happen, but here's the point. Even in this, where we live incredible, we have a crisis of attitude that we're going to face that says, you know, I really deserve this. This is, I gave up stuff to follow Jesus. Yeah, you gave up death to walk in life. Um, and, and we need to reorient ourselves continually. And then finally, this is a command to serve. It's a command to, to serve. Mark 10, what do you think the 10 thought when they heard it? The other guys, the other followers. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Can you just see this? The two guys, hey, give us whatever we want. Okay, what do you want? We want to see you right and left. The other 10 find about it. What? They get the breakfast nook? No way. That is not right. I wanted that. Oh, wait, that was me going back. Uh, the point is, they get mad, indignant. Jesus calls them together and says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So he's comparing worldly authority with what he does. And he says, Look, you guys are acting like the Gentiles, which is, I mean, that's just, to them, that was the greatest insult ever. You know, I mean, they, he was name calling at this point, basically. He's saying, you know that the Gentiles are the ones who like lord authority. They, they, they're the ones who rule and order. He goes on and says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of all. For even 
the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So instead, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be what? Say it again. Your servant and slave. In God's kingdom, as you move up, you don't get more rights, you get less rights. Hello? Do you understand? The more, the more you kind of mature, you don't, get to, you don't get more, you get to lay down your stuff. More and more and more. And this just goes against everything that we are inside of us. We hate this. Because in the world, the more higher, upper you goer, the more you get to boss people around, the less you have to do. I mean, you get more money, you get more responsibility, you're held accountable, but you got people who you get to tell, here's what you got to do. In God's kingdom, the more you go up, so to speak, the more you lay down your rights and say, I'm going to serve. Why? Because even the Son of Man, Jesus, he's using this reference about himself, did not come to serve, um, excuse me, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Can you imagine being a disciple at this point? Wait a minute. I gave up my net. I followed him. I've been with him three years. Now, yeah, 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 I, I remember him teaching us, him showing us, him sending us out, us evaluating stuff together. But this whole thing was for me to serve? It had to shake them. You see, here's, here's one of the keys. I, if we're going to be fully activated for God's kingdom then we have to get out of this is for me mentality. We have to get away from this is about what I get. Fully activated followers of Jesus Christ are giving it away. Giving it away and saying this is not about me. This is, I get to serve. If we're going to really demonstrate to this nation, to this city, to this community around us, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then we have to serve. We have to give it away. We have to love. And we do it not expecting a return. I mean, there will be rewards, but it's, it's going to be a whole different deal. Listen, you may not know this, but we are planted in a community that's considered one of the best in our entire state. I mean, you know that, right? We're in the city right now. We're in the community of Vestavia. Vestavia, Mount Brook, Homewood. If you look at, every time you look at the paper on school rankings or crime or where our kids end up in college, we, we're the best, so to speak, in the state. Here's the deal, though. The people who live here, and I, I, I live here, the people who live here, they don't do it because they're thinking, oh, what can I give away? 
What can I, how can I serve in general? They're here because they say, you know what? I'm going to get the best. I'm going to get the best education. I'm going to get the best soccer program. I'm going to get the best kids. My kid's going to get in the best sorority or fraternity. My kid's going to go to the best college. Uh, I, I, I'm going to pay more taxes because they pick up the trash on time. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this because I get to give. The mentality in our community is not, I get to live here so I can give my life away. How are we going to show people like this that there is a God who live in such comfort because we're going to help them realize that by, by this attitude and this spirit, it is emptiness. Because at some point, they're going to run into empty. Are you with me? They're going to run into, wait a minute. I don't feel any. I am miserable in my getting. And the only way we're going to be there to help is to say, let us serve. Let us love you. Let us give our life for you. I believe the only way we find our destiny in God by being fully activated is by doing what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He came to not be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, being a disciple is not learning a body of information. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not opposed to learning. But a disciple is a follower of Jesus. It is a learner, but it's learning the life of God by the power of the Spirit. And we want to be that. It, it, a disciple is one who's called to be activated. Leave and follow and be transformed. A disciple is one who has the same attitude as the one he follows, which is this. You didn't come to get. You came, you do, to give away. I believe God is calling us to be fully activated followers of Jesus Christ. And it's my desire to see this church, this people, this place, see all of this occur in our lives. Lord, I, I want to, I, I pray this morning that you would help us learn what it means to be your followers. Lord, I, I, I can't even comprehend the truth that, that Jesus, the one who created, the one who sustains, the one who holds everything together by your powerful word, came to be a servant for us. But Lord, if you could, then I can. And if you did, then I must. And Lord, help each of us realize that to be fully activated followers of Christ, that we, we lay down our rights, we serve others. Lord, forgive us where we continually start thinking this is about us and we want to we be served. Forgive us where we start saying things like, oh, I'm going to do this because I'm not getting this we abandon rather than saying, Lord, what can I do to give myself away? 
Lord, I pray for every person who's a part of fullness that we will be fully activated, fully devoted followers of yours, being transformed by you. And Lord, I pray that right now that we're going to, as we give to you, that this will be a, Lord, we can say with this, God, this is me. This little bit of money, this card even I'm putting in, this prayer request, this represents me. And I want to be a follower of yours. I want to give my life away. I want to serve others. I want to, I want to show the world that Jesus Christ is truly alive. Lord, we thank you, we bless you, we joy in you this morning. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.